Welcome to Revere Assets, Your Money, with Danny Stewart. You never know how far the stock is going to go down. Tim Razor. Danny knows I'm a geek for all of this stuff. And Don Vandenborg. Telling it like it is. If you're seeking the best stock knowledge this side of Wall Street, you've come to the right place. I'm sorry, did I steal your stuff? No, you didn't steal any thunder. Who's handling this segment? (laughs) For the next hour, Danny, Tim, and Don will be talking investing. Investing is 90% psychological, and I love that. Trades. The market will usually overshoot to the downside and to the upside. And dumpster fires. Because it doesn't matter what you think or what I think, and it matters even less what Danny thinks. And now, here's your hosts... Danny, Tim, and Don. We have lots to talk about today and lots going on both in the economy and the market, stock nerds and market lovers. And the Fed just came out and gave a talk, a little talk yesterday. I'm sure you heard that. But before we do, we've got a little house cleaning. And and I do want to remind you folks, this is for research and entertainment. It's not specific investment advice. If you want specific investment advice, either reach out to us at Revere or talk to your own advisor. All right. Now that that's out of the way. Now, I don't want to bury the lead. So we have some big announcements, the good, the bad. It's almost like uh, Clint Eastwood, the good, the bad, the ugly. It's yes. not the ugly. It's just the good and the bad because we're all very good looking. Oh, we're good. But the, the bad, the bad is that Hunter is leaving for another job in another industry. And we will be sad to see Hunter go. Sorely missed. Oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's. We're, we're torn up a little bit about it. We're going to miss him. But we've already found his replacement, and we think he, Michael Ramos, is going to be another rock star just like Hunter. All right. And, in fact, when, you know, when Hunter, when Hunter reached out to us and talked to me, you know, gave, gave his notice and stuff, we looked at, um, you know, Don put out some um, um, feelers in social media and said, look, we're looking to hire and he probably got 30 or so candidates immediately. Yeah. And 15 were, you know, people that kind of are inter- want to, like the idea of money management or doing something else. They're not actually in money management now. They haven't actually, they wanted to learn. Ah, hobby, we don't really have time to, to train in. some. Yeah, we yeah, don't. Yeah. We need someone that can hit the ground running and is already seasoned anyway. And we'll get into that. So then he whittled it down. And, and we actually probably going to uh, pick up at least one more employee, possibly two. But. But uh, and we'll get into Michael's credentials in just a moment. But first, Hunter, why don't you tell the listeners where you are going and what you will be doing? I can do that. And so first, before I I get into that, I'd just like to start off and say uh, that I have really enjoyed my time with Revere. I've enjoyed getting to banter with Don and Dan and Tim and learn from everybody. And uh, I've I've had a, a really incredible journey here, uh, learning all kinds of things, ranging from technical analysis, you know, uh, educating myself much, much more so on the CanSlim and the O'Neill methods, all kinds of stuff. So first thing I want to say is I'm extremely grateful. Uh, I've had a really awesome opportunity to learn and develop relationships with the guys here at Revere, and I have no, 
no bad comments to say whatsoever. Uh, but in regards to where I'm going, as Dan mentioned, it is a little bit of an industry change. Uh, no more managing money for me. I was approached uh, by a company that's here in Jacksonville named North Avenue Capital uh, to go be a essentially an underwriter of uh, U.S. Uh, DA backed loans. So basically what they do is they extend credit to small businesses uh, in rural America and in an effort to basically stimulate economic growth, create jobs, things of that nature. Uh, anything ranging from a pickleball club to a hotel to a manufacturing plant to a dairy farm. Uh, so I'll be spending a lot of time analyzing income statements, cash flow statements, balance sheets, credit history, business models, purchase agreements, things of that nature. Uh, so a little bit of a step out of the investment management uh, side of things and into more of the fundamental analysis from a credit and debt standpoint. Uh, but nonetheless, I will always be researching, uh, trying to find the next true market leaders, all of that good stuff. And obviously, I'll stay in touch with the guys here at Revere as well. So that's kind of just a brief summary before it gets too boring and gets too much into the details uh, of what I'll be doing. But yeah, moving into the debt side of things, underwriting loans. Uh, for backed by the government, and so is it? Was it FDA or USDA? Who's who's doing USDA? The so okay. United States Department of Agriculture. They have a Got couple it. of different programs. Some that are related to like solar and wind power and things like that. Uh, it's called Rural Energy for America, and the the generic one is called the uh, USDA's Business and Industry Program. That's the most broad reaching. Uh, applies to pretty much every business you can think of for the most part. Well, I may actually be reaching out to you. I, we just I just went to the. We had a meeting for our little community, the little town that I live in, Lucas. It's just northeast of Dallas, and they actually they're having a big fervor because they there's some people in the in the community who want to put in pickleball courts, and then some that are vehemently against it. And pickleball is like the fastest growing. Have you, have you ever sport. played? Oh, it's a blast! It's a blast. Oh, you have played it. Oh, I, I never... played. Yeah, my daughter got into it. But anyway, older people, young people. It's not like tennis or golf where if you try to learn when you're 35 or 40, you're screwed. Yeah, you can't. It's too hard. But you you can pick it up right away. Yeah. You know, golf and tennis, you really got to learn when you're young. Otherwise, yeah. it's it's very difficult yeah, to yeah. be any good. But but anyway, so Hunter, so they're talking about you know how to finance it. Should we do it? So I may actually maybe be reaching out to you because <laughs> I, I if we're counting the whole D, uh, DFW Metroplex, we definitely won't fall under the fifty thousand uh, population. But the town of Lucas supposedly is around That's, yeah ten thousand. As long as the as long as the zip code is under that fifty thousand, you're good. Ooh, that zip code is not under that zip code includes Allen. So I'm pretty uh, sure it won't be under 50, but mm. uh, I don't know. We'll see if we can make some uh, adjustments. All right. So, so that's that. Now the good news is his replacement, Michael Ramos is uh, coming on board and I'll let him explain a little bit about uh, his trading and, and, and all of his background, but he's uh, so his dad is a, a Spanish citizen, Spain. His mom is Australian. And so he speaks fluent Spanish. Wow. He's got three passports. He's a citizen of the United States as well as Australia and Spain. Wow. He was a junior Olympic swimmer. Uh, he was a competitive soccer player, and then he coached kids. This is the cool one that I liked is his dad, he, so he's a music producer. His dad was, a, was a, one of the number one Spanish pop stars. I want him to tell me, but that's the thing that I thought was the, the coolest the thing on his, yeah, oh on his bio. And then he lived in a little village in Fuji for months. Now he is a CFA level one candidate, which is pretty impressive. I mean, I'm a CFA and that's, 
that's no easy task. That's, in my opinion, that's much higher accolade than an MBA or other designations you can get. Yeah. Um, and he went to UC Santa Barbara uh, for a uh, Bachelor of Science in uh, Psychology and Brain Sciences. Wow. So with that, <laughs> Michael, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? I didn't. I didn't hear that. What was that? Applause. That was applause. That was applause. That's my little. You want to hear it again? Here it is again. Listen. There it is. Right there. There you go. I, I didn't hold it up close enough to the to the right. mic. It's, we don't really have an audience in the background with an applause. No, you, you wouldn't know it looking at us. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. It's got also it's also got some vulgar sounds which I won't play. Yeah, yeah don't play any of those. Yeah, no, no. But anyway, Michael, go ahead and tell us a little bit about your trading and kind of your uh, just do a, a quick uh, Cliff Notes version of your background, upbringing, trading, all that stuff. Yeah, well, uh, thank you for the uh, the kind introduction. Um, I this is actually the fir first podcast I've ever done, so um, I apologize if if I'm not um, up to speed and and not at the uh, same quality that that the rest of the guys at Revere are. Watched a few of your episodes. You don't have to you worry about that. No, no, you're, you're doing great. Yeah. <laughs> you guys, the bar you guys is got so it down, low, so Michael. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I, I think um, I I would like to give a shout out and um, real appreciation to uh, to two people. Uh, one, Mark Johnson, um, who introduced me to the guys at Revere and has really helped me out. Um, met him a few years ago. Uh, when I was uh, working at a at a hedge fund, um, he he shared the uh, the same office building, and he's just helped me out a lot. And um, seems like he gave a, a great recommendation. And um, without him, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have ever met Don and Dan and Hunter and the guys at Revere. And um, really appreciate that, Mark. And um, and yeah, going back to uh, my my trading history, um, I really started off when. Uh, I, it's really in sixth grade, uh, we had a school project. Um, yeah, I grew up in Miami Beach and my sixth grade teacher had us compete in a, um, she introduced us to the stock market and had us do a little competition where um, as a class, we would get into groups and see which group could get the best returns. We didn't know anything about the market, but it was, it was really our first introduction. And um, I, was in the cool group and not necessarily the smart group and i decided that we should buy uh, google because everyone used a search engine and a couple of other companies that um i thought were were popular at the time and long story short we ended up winning the competition by a lot because it was right around the time that google ipo'd um they did extremely well, and it was thanks to Google that that we we won. So after that, I, I was like, "Wait, is this uh, is this just a game, or can you do this in real life?" And obviously, I was too young, couldn't really invest. But that's uh, that's where I first got introduced and became really fascinated with um, the whole process. And then um, waited, wanted to start investing when I was younger. Asked uh, my parents if I could recommend a few things, and and they. They um they listened to my advice, um, made a few trades. Didn't really know what I was doing, but um they were always receptive and interested. And then um when I got old enough to actually trade my own account, I uh, I was working at a restaurant at the time, saving all my money just so I could put it in um in a Robinhood account. 
and um, this was back in 2013. Um, started going from there, made some money, lost it all, made some money again, lost it all again, <laughs> and um, felt like it was time for me to really figure out what I was doing because I enjoyed it, but I didn't want to have these ups and downs and keep losing money and making it and losing it again. Um, and then while I was working at the, um, at the hedge fund, I would walk into Mark Johnson's office every day because he was doing things that really interested me more than, than what I was supposed to be doing. And, um, <laughs> I would talk to him about stocks in the market every day. And he introduced me to, um, he said, I, my suggestion, what you should do if you really want to get into this is read a book, how to make money in stocks. So I bought the book that day um, after work, started reading it and, and yeah, found out about the canceling method. And since then, um, that is, I think, um, the best approach. It fits into my um, personality and what I like to look for. I think it makes the most sense from a fundamental and technical perspective. And, um, and yeah, and that's now helped me work at a, um, or get involved in a, in a firm that, that follows a similar strategy. So, um, and, and yeah, even be, and be, and better, and, be, and better yet, you don't have to give it all back each time. You don't have to, you may pull back exactly, just a little yeah. bit, but you don't lose it all in, in these, in these cycles. Now you were also doing some, um, was it VIX, uh, uh, hedging arbitrage or was it future? What were you? Uh, yes. Yeah, so, it, it was it was uh, VIX futures, um, like options on the VIX futures arbitrage. So it was a very uh, niche strategy. And um, the fund actually, unfortunately, didn't do so well because it was in a period of extremely low volatility, like almost sure. unprecedented low volatility, um, really up until um, up until 2018, there, there was there was not a lot of volatility until um, I think it was XIV blew up in yep. in um, in 2018, which was the inverse VIX. Sure. So they just uh, struggled to um, to do well in in a low volatility environment. But um, but yeah, it was a great introduction to um, these these different strategies and the hedge fund world. And and yeah, that that was my um, my my first. Uh, real experience at a, at a hedge fund where, where they implemented, um, strategies I'd never heard of before. Yeah. And you also, you also worked in the, in the allocation of trades and, and compliance now here at Revere, because we're doing block trades for everybody and everybody gets the exact same average price at the exact same timestamp, including the partners at the firm, Don and I, right along with our clients. We don't ever have a, whenever we get audited, they come in and say, okay, let me see your accounts. Let me make sure you're not front-running clients. Now, we're not huge like Merrill Lynch, so it's really not an issue, and we're using highly liquid stocks, even if we were doing it. But as soon as they see that everybody, there is no cherry-picking, no front-running, uh, it's, it's not, a, not an issue. All right, so that is uh, Michael Ramos. He's a new uh, addition to Revere, and he's going to be starting doing the uh, daily market inside videos probably in a couple weeks. You'll see him on there pretty soon, but he'll be doing... Um, um, the podcast next week with Don. Now, I am going to be traveling next week. And so Don is going to steer the ship next week. And we actually were talking about it. And we had such a demand a few weeks back. He did his the first 
four of his 13 cell rules. 13 rules. Yeah, 13 yeah. rules. And we told everybody we were going to do like four a week for, for the next few weeks. Yeah. And then we kind of got stride tracked. There were a couple big things that happened in, in the markets and things. And so we kind of put this. So he next week is going to do, you're going to do all 13 rules, right, Don? You're going to cover all, all of them? All 13. We'll go. Yeah. Woo. Okay. 13 rules. Yeah. Be kind of an evergreen show. It'll be uh, something that we'll uh, be able to refer back to, replay several times, maybe post it on the website uh, as something that, uh, that can stick around. Rules are really everlasting, and it's part of the framework um, to what we do at Revere. Yeah, so you, you guys won't want to miss that. That's going to be the red meat show for the stock nerds. You know, doing this show, you always want to – you kind of want to balance entertainment with – with enough information of to make course. it worth it. And so some people want more topic, less red meat, and other people want just give me the red meat. So anyway, don't miss that. All right. So now let's let's get into what has happened in the last few days and what's transpired because there's been a, a pretty big change. And so we're going to go, we're going to talk about economics, the Fed, MMT, known as modern monetary uh, theory, uh, uh, you know, can you say when doves fly? Was that Prince's song? When doves, doves fly? Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, the doves Fed. The Fed is Prince. getting very do- doves. doves cry. I think. Oh, okay. when oh doves cry. cry. When doves cry. Hey. Yeah. I thought it was yeah, fly. Oh, that kind of okay. All right. Anyway, um, um, so modern monetary theory is the theory that you, can, if you're a big government and you own the printing press, you own, you control the fiat currency, and you're a government. You can't go bankrupt because you own the printing press. And the, the idea is that you can spend as much as you want and you can create demand because the government can buy stuff. And so you can create jobs, you can create demand, and it won't have any bad negative effects, right? Right. Well, now we're realizing that it's failed miserably, so... You know, it's they spent five trillion dollars, and all we got was inflation. So, a couple of problems that they that they miss now with COVID and the mandatory shutdowns. You know, I get you may have to inject some money to try to keep the economy going so people can spend. Because if you let it completely fall into a deep, deep recession or depression, getting that momentum and getting it moving forward again is 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 much more is much more difficult then letting it slow down a little bit, but then accelerating again. Just like when you're in your car, you stop at a red light, you hit the gas. It takes a lot more energy, and it's jerky than if you kind of slow down and then speed up. So you want to keep the momentum going. So I got that. But once you open up the economy, you got to kind of suck out that surplus because all of a sudden the velocity of money turns over, and that's where you get the big inflation. So a couple problems they had. They pulled demand forward. The stimulus, we're sending all that money. You pulled the demand forward and everybody started buying. They were sitting at home, not working, and they, they were buying. And then, and then the wage, and then you started getting inflation. Now, once they opened up the economy, you, 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 there was a lot of job uh, pressure. You, a lot of people, a lot of employers were looking for uh, employees. They, want, they needed jobs. Jobs were strong. Mm-hmm. So they started, so employees had more control they could you know before the employer had all the control and wages didn't increase for years a couple decades actually well now all of a sudden wages are increasing the problem is they didn't increase as fast as inflation and so when they did reopen 
the job, the, the, the wages just didn't keep up. So the argument that stimulus helps the poor working class proved untrue, and um, people spent 7% more in 2021 than they did in 2019 or 2020. So, mm-hmm. they, so things cost 7% more in 2021. We're not even talking about 2022. And now you're having massive inflation. So uh, free capital, free money, distorts prices and causes more inflation. And that's, that's why it just doesn't work. It just, it, just, it just doesn't work. Now, the debt. So let's move on to the debt. Does this debt matter? That's the other tenet of modern portfolio theory, or excuse me, modern monetary theory, MMT, is that you can borrow as much as you want, and it doesn't matter because you can't go bankrupt unless you decide to go bankrupt because you can just print the money and pay the debt and nothing bad will happen. And they love to look at Japan. They say, look at Japan's been doing it for 30 years and they haven't gone bankrupt yet. Well, they haven't collapsed yet, but I will say they also haven't grown in 30 years. The stock market is still well under the high from 1991. Um, so the allure of, of monitored monetary uh, theory especially with these progressive programs is because you can spend unlimited on, on federal jobs, public works, Medicare for all, free college, free housing. And, you know, it just reminds me of that song, something for nothing and your chicks for free. You can't, there's nothing is for free. And so it, it just doesn't work. And so that it's, it's just fuzzy math. It just doesn't work. So it sounds great in theory, but you know, to these uh, ivory tower politicians and, 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 and PhDs in Harvard. And, uh, and, and by the way, the other thing, the other tenet they have is if you want to slow the growth, like tame inflation, yeah. you don't do that by pulling back the printing. You do that by raising people's taxes. So you tax them a whole lot more that in theory kills the demand because it takes out their disposable income. So Normally, the old theory was that you raise taxes to finance spending. A government would either spend, I mean, would either, there's two ways a government can legitimately spend money. Mm -hmm. They can borrow and pay interest expense to spend the money, or they can raise taxes. The third one, which is modern monetary theory, just says just print it and stick it in the system. Now, 30, 40 years ago, in all the economic textbooks, the, in the forward, the beginning, it all, they had a thing saying, once you monetize the debt, that's the death nail for a currency. Once you monetize the debt and start printing money in there and just printing it, you're going to have massive inflation. And it's hard to turn around because leverage works both ways. Okay? You don't see that in the textbooks anymore. Okay? I'll never forget, I was at a... I would, after, during the economic crisis in 2008, I went to Dallas down to a hotel conference room and, oh, that guy Faber, not, 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 not the doom and gloom guy, uh, the guy on CNBC, Faber, um, always a younger guy, he's one of their show hosts. And he was talking, and after he spoke, after everybody, uh, they did a Q&A, and I didn't ask questions because I didn't want to, I was afraid he might not know the answer, which he didn't. So afterward, after it cleared out, I walked up to him and said, hey, what do you think about the Fed monetizing the debt? David Faber. David Faber. David, David Faber. Faber. CNBC. And I yes. said, what do you think about the Fed monetizing the debt? And he goes, Moni- I don't know what that means. And I said, well, it means you just print money in the system and stick it in there without raising taxes or borrowing. It's just a, 
You're just printing. Yeah. And he said, well, aren't they already doing that? I said, exactly. That's my point. At some point, you're going to have to, the reckoning will come. Yeah. Anyway, he said he didn't know what that means. Well, six months later, after all the, the first quantitative easing and bailouts, I saw him on CNBC acting all smart, saying, oh, well, the Fed's monetizing the debt. It became a big buzzword, mm. and everybody started using it. So that kind of dissipated after we got the 2008 recovery. So that's how the Fed saved us from the brink last time. Yeah. Then they tried to do it again with COVID, and it's just getting worse and worse, and the accumulation of debt will have um, um, extra, you know, have, uh, you know, problems, yeah. which we're having right now. Mm. So now that's where we are. You had massive printing. You opened up the economy. You turned over the velocity of money, meaning the money's turning over faster now because there's demand. Yeah. We're not on lockdown anymore. And now you have inflation. So the Fed is now trying to fix inflation. So they raised rates and causing pain headed into the midterm, right? Mm -hmm. Now, historically, and this is what we'll talk about with the guys, historically, Right before the midterms is one of the best times in the stock market because the politicians want to make you feel, even though the Fed's supposed to be apolitical, they, they still they get their uh, chain yanked by Congress. Congress pulls them in a couple times a year to just let them know who's boss and who gave them their charter, mm -hmm. right? And the president can fire the Fed chairman. And so they want to play ball, and they, they don't want to get fired. So they're really for the incumbent. Mm -hmm. doesn't matter who it is, yeah. right? And so... Now they're trying to, but, but with all the polls, everybody's so worried about inflation, they really had to raise rates. And now raising rates, you're already having a slowing real estate market. It's caused havoc in the stock market just up till now. And now Powell blinked. So I said a few months ago, I think they'll raise a couple times aggressively. They're already too late. They're too late behind the curve. They should have done it while we were opening up the economy. And so I said he would raise rates a few times and then say uncle. And if you look in the verbiage now, now they softened. Even though he raised three quarters of a point, he said now we're kind of where we want to be. Now we're going to go back to being data dependent. We're going to look at the data. We're going to see if it slows. And, and, and we're, so I think he may be done. He may hit raise one more time, but we're getting close. The bigger question is, is it time to invest? Are we forming a bottoming process? Now, it may not, we may not, may not be there right now, but I will tell you this. When it's time to, to start really getting aggressive and going all in, it's not going to feel right. It's going to be counterintuitive, and you're going to be scared. So, it, you know, the bottom of the 2008 economic crisis, which on March 9th, I think, Don can correct me if I'm wrong on that, but it was March 9th. Mm -hmm. Hardly anybody started loading up the truck and bought in it at March 9th, the absolute. It just doesn't feel right. It feels scary. Right. So right now, with the Fed being dovish, does that change the tenor of the market? Because we're still slowing. By the way, the, the, the GDP number came out today, and it was, I think, negative 0.8, and the estimates were between 0.4 positive to 0.8 or 9 positive, and it was and it was negative. And by the way, the government knew that it was going to come out negative. That's why they tried to redefine the definition of recession for the last week. They've been saying two negative quarters is not really a recession, which that's absolutely the classical definition of a recession. Right. But they knew it was going to come out. So anyway, that's where we are now.
So now I want to kind of open it up and get the thoughts. Don, what, what are your thoughts on the, on the Fed and what's, what's happening? Uh, I made this comment on a Wednesday night's video. Jay Powell couldn't have had a better press conference yesterday. When uh, at 2 o'clock Eastern, right before the announcement that they were cutting 75 basis points came out, the S&P was at 39.74. When, when there was, there's the usual uh, spike up, spike down after that decision as the algos try to run stops above the high of the day and the low of the day. When, when he came out and did his introductory statement for the press conference at 2.30, we were at uh, 39.79. And he, in his initial, the first couple of sentences that he spoke were a little bit little bit hawkish and we dropped the 3969 and then we took off to the upside when he started talking about uh, data dependence uh, came out a little bit more dovish started talking about uh, that they were going to focus on core inflation to make their decisions for raising interest rates not the headline number now the difference between the two of those is the core inflation number does not include food and energy which are the two things that impact main street the most so the market liked the fact that he said he's going to focus on core because the core was actually lower last time CPI came out. Uh, and the second thing that made the market pop even higher was when they asked him, are we in a recession? And he gave the, towed the White House line, no, we're not in a recession. And he pointed to exactly what Yellen has been saying and what the White House has been saying is you can't be in a recession if we're creating 400,000 jobs every month, which Granted, it's hard to argue with, uh, but the changing the, 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 the definition of the recession, everybody and their brother knows that the rule of thumb guide of a recession is uh, two consecutive quarters of negative GDP, and that's what we just got. We'll, we'll leave it to the pundits to argue that. Uh, certainly, I'm a very much a fact-based guy. I would look at that, and I would tend to agree that we are creating jobs on the flip side. Energy prices are completely out of control. That trickles into every area of the economy, and that certainly is causing people's spending to uh, not to cut back. They're spending the same amount of data, uh, spending the same amount of money, but they're getting less goods. Right. Uh, and that's that's the definition of inflation. You 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 can't uh, stock your pantry. You can't. Uh, go out to the movies or go out to eat or spend it on your social activities when you're putting more money to, uh, to, uh, to put food on the table and to gas up your vehicle to get to work. So the bottom line is that it doesn't matter what anybody thinks about it. We're going to look at, and I, I know I say this over and over and over again, but all that's going to matter is what the charts do. What, is, what are the charts showing us? Are we crashing? Are we going higher? And right now, we went higher yesterday after the Fed announcement. Now, the prior two Fed announcements, the next day we plunged, and it looked early today like we were going to uh, go significantly lower. Zach, if you could uh, bring up my chart. Uh, here is here's the big move higher when Powell started talking. This is a this is a chart of the Nasdaq 100, a 10 minute chart. It's very obvious to see when he started talking and. We pumped the markets higher. We pulled back a little bit into the close. Started out higher or about uh, slightly higher this morning, went up, and then, oh, we started selling off, and everybody started saying, see, 
this was a pump, uh, we're going lower, and what happened? We bottomed right around the pivot yesterday before where we started going higher. So just looking at the charts, just looking at the facts, what did we do? We back-tested the breakout area, and we popped off of that. That's, that's a test of going lower. The, bear, the bears failed, and we've bounced off that area right now, and we'll continue to be fact-based and looked at what are, what is the market? What are the indexes? What are leading stocks actually doing? Here's the, here's the spy. Uh, here's the pivot area. We didn't even touch it on that pullback. Um, and we bounced. So we'll go by the levels. We'll, we'll, we'll judge, we'll base our exposure on facts, not opinions. Doesn't matter what anybody thinks about it. The only thing that matters is how much somebody is willing to pay for a stock or an ETF for a mutual fund, and whether they're a buyer or whether they're a seller. And if there are more buyers than sellers, it'll force prices higher. And if it's not, it'll force prices lower. The market is the defining mechanism of what's going on. On uh, uh, we've come down hard. Forty eighteen, beginning of the year, one leg down, two legs down. So a lot of people were saying this was going to be the harsh third leg down, but it got cut short. We bounced around. We put in a bottom right now on 714, and then we started working our way higher. When we tried to pull back, we came back to a support area that we use all the time, the 50-day moving average and the 21-day moving average. We bounced there. We held, and now we're going higher. If these levels break, we'll reduce our exposure. If they continue to go higher, we'll increase our exposure. It's the opinions don't matter. What you see on CNBC doesn't matter. The articles that you read in the newspaper don't matter. The only thing that matters is what the market is actually doing. It's the best forecasting mechanism known to mankind. Maybe looking forward and seeing that we're go that that the rate rises are going to stop. Maybe looking forward and seeing that inflation uh, has topped. We don't know. There's important inflation data that's coming out Friday morning. We'll see how that impacts things. Uh, but we're, we're just not going to argue with, with price. That, that's the bottom line. Nobody's opinion means anything in the market. Nobody's predictions mean anything. Um, we've, we've got a formula. It comes down to basic math. We want to make more than we lose. We know there's signals in the market. This was a big one when we failed below the 200-day moving average uh, back in April, and we headed lower. We know that markets are at extreme uh, high risk when we're under the 200-day moving average. Is the bear market going to be at 20%? Is it going to be 30%? Is it going to be 40%? Right now, 24%, minus 23, 24% was the bottom, and now we're bouncing, we're down 15%. So we know when we're at risk, we know when we're participating, uh, and risk is reducing. And as we claw through these resistance areas, get through the 21 get through the 50, get through uh, areas where people wanted to panic and sell stocks. This is a key one right here. This is that 4017 area to where we gap down uh, and, and look at the high yesterday, 39.74. Where were that? This was the gap down on the prior CPI report. The high of that day was 39.74. Where were we yesterday when at two o'clock when Jay Powell started talking? Or when the when the Fed came out, we were at thirty nine seventy four. So we tested it. We came back. We got above it. We pulled back, and now we're back above it. Thirty nine seventy four certainly a very key level. 
consider that the Fed pivot. Not that the Fed pivoted, but that's the pivot price of where we were in the S&P 500 when the Fed made its latest interest rate decision. We pulled back and so far it's successfully tested and we'll stick with increasing exposure as long as that's what the market continues to do. Okay, I'd like to jump in and say one thing because Don said we, when he said we, he's meaning the S&P or the markets in general. When he said we were down 24% or now we're down 15, he's talking about the markets. Revere is down mid single digits. We're not down 15%. Those are the markets. So I just want to clarify that when he says we. Right, good means, clarification, right. It means the market. So, um, and that's why a sell discipline is so important because it could have been easily been, you know, 35 or 40%. Um, so, um, and I'd like to make one last point, folks, this is the hard, one of the hardest things that retail investors that aren't really active and really paying attention and following it because they got lives, they work, they tend to make equivalent main street and wall street. And you got to separate those because sometimes they move in tandem. Sometimes they don't. And that's what I was saying. The market will start rolling over before you start having trouble like at the very beginning of covid lockdowns the market sold off at the very beginning of inflation and bad economic data back in december early january the market started selling off the markets will start even if we start going into a shallow recession the market will start rallying while you're in a recession before it turns up and by the time the economic data is good and you say wow we're coming out of recession Market's already going to be up twenty percent, or you know whatever. So it's that's why you got to follow price because the market is one of the best leading indicators that's out there. All right, let's go to Hunter and see what Hunter, what you have, Hunter. You really want to wow the audience because this is going to be your last show, and then <laughs> yeah, and then no and I, I want to give Michael a little bit of a heads up, a little bit of a hint after Hunter goes, Michael. I'm going to go to you and you can give a couple of either broad economic ideas, thesis that you're looking at, or a couple individual stocks, uh, you know, for the red meat, for the stock nerds, something that you're finding interesting. So I just wanted to, I should have told you that yesterday or before the show. <laughs> Maybe but, before uh, the show. We, hey, yeah. hey, here, man, we don't play around. We little just play, live, we throw everybody to the wolves and you either got to sink or swim, man. A little live producing. S- sink, or, sink or swim. Right. All right. All right. Uh, Hunter, what you got? All right. So, Given that it is my last podcast research and presentation here, I do have quite a bit of content, Don, so you're going to have to bear with me. Uh, first, we're going to start with some stocks that are breaking out slash have recently gapped up and are holding that gap up or their breakout. And there's a very important reason we want to talk about that. So first name here, Don, is Enphase. Uh, solar stocks in general had a big move up this morning. A lot of them ended up reversing a little bit or a pretty significant amount. Uh, but... The point that I want to make here on Enphase is you have to put this in context with the fact that it was up huge yesterday on an earnings gap up. And you see that EPS number down there. I think it says 109%. Is that right, Don? Yep. The 109? Yep. You got massive EPS rise there on Enphase. Revenue continues to grow at a high rate. So you get a huge move up over that 220-ish resistance level here on Enphase, as well as above the 250 level, another big logical level. And then sub that you get up this morning. So the volatility uh, is completely normal, in my opinion, given how extended this thing is. But I want to make the point, holding up and the point that is, that is over the course of this year, growth or more kind of tech slash more volatile names 
breakouts have not worked. They have not. They've given back gains. They've been to base up breaking daily. But we're seeing at least evidence right now that ENPH is holding up well and not just holding up after a gap up, an earnings gap. They gapped up again and they're kind of in the middle of the range. They're hanging in there about as good as you can ask for, given how extended this name is. So I want to point out that if this is the beginning of a legitimate rally, if the Fed is actually pivoting and that gives rise for markets to continue to move further, this is a name that's one of the first to really break out. Uh, it popped over to the 280, high today, just ever so briefly. Uh, but this is one of the names that you want to keep on your radar because it's got some serious volume. It's got the major EPS growth. It's got the revenue growth. It's got the institutional sponsorship and it's got accumulation on the, on the volume pattern. So keep an eye on in phase. I know it is super extended, but the point is, is it's holding up well and it's not giving back its gains. That is a change in character in general for the market. Just like Don mentioned that uh, after the feds, some of the previous fed days where the Qs and the S&P have been up two, 3%, we just ended up being down three, four percent the next day. If we're able to hold on to positive gains today uh, after yesterday's action, that is a change in character from the way that we've reacted to the previous Fed decisions so far this year. So you got a, a change in character in that regard. And we've got some stocks holding their gap ups. The next one, Don, is Chipotle, CMG. Now, I'm aware that this chart is not as attractive per se as an in phase. But this is poking its head just a tiny bit above the 200 day as we speak. It's trying to get above yesterday's high. And that's exactly what you want to see out of an earnings gap. You've got unbelievably huge volume here on CMG as well. Uh, yesterday with that gap up and today you've got just picture perfect action. You had the NASDAQ down 1.3% this morning. Uh, so, you know, seeing stocks get back a little bit this morning, that's going to be completely normal given what was going on in the market. But the action you're seeing here, pressing up against that 200-day again, trying to push through it, that's the type of action you want to see. This is constructive price action and something we have not seen very much with gap ups this year. And the last one here on this, on this topic, excuse me, uh, is PWR, Don. This also has ties to the solar industry. But again, this is breaking out today. And right now, it is holding the breakout very well. It's trading at the top of the range. It's above this 140 level. It's above those pivots on the left-hand side of your screen. It's got a blue dot on the RS line. Uh, I know earnings are coming up for this name, but the point here is these are some successful breakouts, very strong price action with volume that are doing what you want to see uh, from these types of stocks. So that's a changing character from what we've seen all year long. It's been a struggle to get any breakouts that actually work. And we're seeing some of those try and break out or hold their gap ups. And that's, I think it's very, very important uh, for the market. So pay attention to those names. If you start seeing more breakouts, you start seeing more breakout alerts. That's something you want to be aware of because the truth is over the course of the last seven to eight months, there hasn't been many breakout alerts. It's been downside alerts. So I just want to point out possible change in character here on a lot of these names and just the fact that breakouts slash gap ups are holding. Secondly, Don, when you pull up UUP, and I want to hammer this home since this is my last podcast uh, presentation here too. You got to watch the dollar extremely closely. It is unbelievably correlated to what's going on in equities right now. And so you can see it's had a pretty decent pullback here in, in terms of the dollar from 29.2, a uh, pretty nasty reversal there now down to here, just hanging out around the 21 EMA. If this continues to move downward, that relieves some of the short-term pressure on equities and that, that correlation has been very, very strong over the last couple of months, and it continues to be 
Uh, yesterday, you see that harsh reversal after the Fed decision, the dollar ends up coming down, uh, as you can see with that candle yesterday. So pay, pay close attention to the dollar and how it acts. If the dollar continues to move down, there is a high, high likelihood that that is going to be beneficial for stocks, at least in the very the short to medium term here. So dollar coming down yesterday on the Fed decision, I think it's really important to, to pay attention to that and to note that. Secondly, Don, will you pull up TLT? And I've talked about this in my videos extensively here, uh, you know, TLT and TNX. And I want to point out something significant here. For one, it's up today, which means rates are coming down. If TLT is moving up, that means that the, the yield is coming down here on at least the 20-year yield. So the point that I want to make, however, is the 21 is now above the 50-day for the first time since the end of last year on TLT. This has been trending down for seven to eight months now. And this is the first time that you've got the eight and the 21 hooking up through the 50 day and over basically again since January 1 of this year. So we've got a changing character in that regard. You can see that this is actually starting to move upwards. The moving averages are starting to move upwards as well. The 50 day starting to flatten out. So there's a very real chance here that the TLT is possibly developing into a new uptrend here, at least a short term uptrend. Uh, which is going to give some relief in, re in regards to yields and rates. So I want to point those two things out. Pay close attention to what TLT and what rates are doing. Pay close attention to what the dollar is doing uh, as well. So let's get into some stocks here uh, and also some sectors. First one I want to talk about, I already mentioned Enphase, but uh, if you'll just pull up TAN for me, Don. And I just want to point out a couple of things here. Uh, if this is a legitimate rally, right? Uh, TAN and biotech, so solar and biotech, were two of the first sectors to start showing relative strength back in May, uh, and even uh, solar a little bit before that. But these are some of the first sectors to start, start showing relative strength. Keep a close eye on those, because what that means is they were some of the first areas to show leadership. And if that is true, if the market is able to continue higher, the indices are able to continue higher, I would keep a really close eye on both solar and biotech for potential leadership, not just from a sector basis, but look into the holdings of these ETFs and you'll find names like Enphase that are actually right near all time highs and things like that. And I do wanna make a brief comment on, in, on Enphase. Uh, in my opinion, and just based on my analysis, I think this is the best in class name for American solar companies. They have the best margins. They pretty much have the best numbers. They have great institutional sponsorship. So in my opinion, to me, this is the top tier name, at least for American solar uh, names here. So. TAN and XBI, I think worth paying super close attention to as they showed early signs of leadership before pretty much any other sector has. The next name I have, Don, is ON, O-N, ON Semiconductor. Well, before before yeah, we uh, move on to ON, I just want to point out TAN, uh, the end phase move up yesterday was on its earnings report. And then after the close yesterday, news came out that Manchin and Schumer had agreed to a budget reconciliation compromise, which funded clean energy. And that's why you're seeing the entire solar and clean energy sector popping this morning. Yep. Now, yeah, if that so back passes, back great. Yeah. So if the, you know if that passes, great. There's money in there for clean energy. After Manchin said uh, this was the big sell-off here on uh, seven fifteen, where he said I'm not supporting any clean energy uh, money in the in the budget act, but they cut they cut uh, some. They made some budget cuts in different areas. They're raising taxes in some other areas. And like, supposedly they reached a compromise yesterday and 
Uh, that's the reason for the pop in clean energy this morning. Okay, on to ON Semi. Yep. And so I, I know last week we covered a handful of semi names that were holding up uh, relatively well, showing relative strength. Like in this case, ON has RS rating of 97. Uh, but the, the point I want to make here on ON is it has a much more constructive base than a lot of uh, other semiconductors have at this point in time. Uh, it didn't have necessarily as harsh of a drawdown as a lot of the other semiconductors did have, at least when you look at like NVIDIA and AMD and those types of names. So again, earnings in four days, but the point here is very simple. It's above all the moving averages, the 21's crossing through the 50, uh, and it's got the RS rating, it's got the numbers, uh, everything's beginning to look pretty solid. You can see those names, they're trying to repair their charts too but they're not above the 100 day, they're not above the 200 day and on is. And it's also pressing up pretty close to a downtrend line as well. If you draw from the 71 to the 68 to the 67, we're getting pretty close to that downtrend line now too. So on semiconductor one, that looks pretty good to me and has continued to act well. You can see that bounce off the 200 day a couple of days ago. Two other semi names that we've continued to monitor, uh, analog devices, ADI, another name I mentioned last week, I think this one may have a blue dot on the RS line today. It could not. Uh, but again, you see the way that that RS line is climbing. It's 89 rating. It's back above the moving averages. Uh, there it is. Okay. So ADI has held up especially very well to its peers. KLAC, another name in the same kind of space that has also held up really well to its peers. KLAC actually in the equipment area. But again, both of these have that RS rating near 90. I think KLAC reports today. That is that is true there. But there's some signs of accumulation yep. here too after a big nasty sell-off in a lot of these names. And this is a name that has above all the shorter term moving averages real close to trying to get above the 200 day. So in the semi space, outside of the popular names that everybody talks about, NVIDIA and AMD, you've got ON, you've got analog devices, and you've got KLA 10 core all uh, looking pretty good. So last name here, as far as individual one goes, and it hasn't acted that well recently, but I just want to bring it up because I have talked about it a few times, and that is GTLB. Uh, and the reason I like this name is the revenue run rate. It was one of the first individual growth names to start, start showing strength. And now that 50 day is kind of starting to catch up to the 50 level, which was a big level for it through. I'd keep an eye on this one if it possibly has that 50 for the first time since it kind of started this newer uptrend. Uh, GTLB, a name to keep an eye on. It's got some constructive elements to it, but one of the first names to really start showing as well. That is all the individual stocks. I do have one last thing. I know I've talked for a decent bit, but I think this is imperative. And I'm going to talk about it more. You could just pull S&P 500 real quick. I got just a real easy, clean line in the sand that uh, clients, whoever's listening, can pay attention look at the 30 level on x is just if as far as this uptrend holding this rally you want to see 3900 hold and why is that so important for one it was the breakout level that spx really needed to get through for two it's now the confluence of the 50 and the 21 so you've got the 50 and the 21 right there the 21's about to hook up through the 50 if you want if you're wanting to see this hold you want to see at a minimum that 3,900-ish area where those moving averages have converged, you want to see that hold. And Don, if you could go to QQQ, uh, the same level basically corresponds to the 295 to 297 area. We undercut that, uh, I think that was on Tuesday, uh, and closed around 293, 294. But that was a huge horizontal resistance line. Now you've got the 21 right there around 296. 
you got the 50 day kind of catching up to it and starting to possibly go flat. So this, again, not only were these big levels in general, now you've got the moving averages uh, in confluence with those huge levels. And the last one here, Don, on IWM, small caps, same thing. I've talked about these levels extensively in the video. 175 to 178 was the big area for IWM to get back above. Wouldn't you know it, the 21 and the 50 are basically right there at that. 176 and 177, uh, give or take. The 21 now poking its head above the 50. So that's the major line in the sand, in my opinion. For If this is going to continue, I want to see at a minimum those areas hold up and show support. Uh, so a nice, clean, easy line in the sand uh, to look at and to kind of set some alerts, set some stops, whatever the case may be. Uh, but I think now that you've got those moving averages in confluence with those huge just horizontal resistance levels and price levels, it adds some, I guess, some extra validity or extra importance to those areas. Uh, and we should see, a, if a pullback goes there, we should see it hold up. And that's what we did see with the S&P and with the Qs over the last couple of days. So that is all I've got. I know it was a lot, but like you said, Dan, it's my last, uh, last go round here on the podcast. I want to make sure I covered everything I had up here in the, in the think tank. <laughs> That that was awesome, no, Hunter. You're you're doing the video tonight, right? That is correct. Okay, so folks, w one thing that I, hold, hold, make... Dan, Dan, let me for one second here, Hunter. You, uh, you, I'm I'm wondering what kind of withdrawals you're going to have from your job. I'm wondering you're going <laughs> from working at home to going into an office environment now, right? That is right. Yep, going into an office environment. So, what is the over under? on your boss coming into your cube and saying, damn it, Hunter, what did I tell you about trading stocks at work over the next 30 days? What, what is the over under oh, on that? Has oh, Vegas set, uh, set a limit on that? Uh, or, I'd say the, or, odds are, uh, the odds are decent. For or, sure. or will his boss yeah. come in and say, man, I need help. What do you think about this stock? <laughs> <laughs> no, what's, what's going to happen set, is I'm set, set aside some time for a portfolio review tomorrow. Then all your coworkers <laughs> will be lined up outside of your, or your office. I think I'm you know where be, to send I'm them be, to, though. Where... That's right. That's right. I do. What will probably happen is I'll be telling Nicolette, like, hey, you need to, we, this stock right here looks really, and she's not going to care one bit. She's like, Hunter, why are you telling me this kind of stuff? So I'll either that or I'll just be talking to myself, one of the two. But especially now that I've gotten so used to doing the videos, having calls with you guys and podcasts, and I'm, I'm going to have somewhere, I've got to find someone to get that information out to. Otherwise, it's just going to be all pinned up in me, you know? <laughs> All right. Well, listen, Hunter, that's awesome. Folks, please don't miss Hunter's uh, final uh, market insight tonight. And I want to make sure that everybody gets this. I know we're hammering this home, but basically what Hunter was saying was, in a nutshell, leading stocks, a lot of, so leading stocks, by definition, they lead off of a, of a bear market or pullback or sell off, whatever semantics you want to use. They actually lead out of the when, when it, you start a new uptrend leading stocks lead hence the name and so you're starting to see leading stocks start to perkle up and bubble up and before you couldn't you know two a couple of weeks ago you couldn't find any you know your 2020 21 over 21 list was pretty pretty sparse now you're seeing lots of stocks also the moving averages are now getting the moving average stack which means the shorter moving averages are curling up and, and get, getting above the longer term moving averages, which is what you want to see. You don't really want to see the 200 day on the top and then the 50 and then the 21 exponential and the, the shorter ones. You want it to see it the other way around. So we are seeing confirmation in a couple different things. Now, the reason we're also able to 
all of a sudden go back in and buy is because we know we have a sell discipline. So if it turns around and rolls over and goes for a third leg down, which it very well could do, we can sell and get right back out. So you just got to be supple enough in your mind and flexible enough to realize, you know, Tim used to always say, well, you can either go either way. It's a market and anything can happen. The market can either go up or going to go down. Right now, the probabilities are suggesting a higher prices in the short term. That could change. But, but, but don't just, if you're hearing all the economic data, just because we're going into a recession, or, or even if we're not, I mean, whatever your definition is, that doesn't mean the market will rally. I mean, won't rally. Doesn't mean the market won't rally. We very well could get a monster rally. So the really thing that I'm interested in seeing is, can the Fed create this, quote, soft landing that he's trying to? All right, I'll get off my bully pulpit. We're going to Michael. Michael, your first uh, opportunity, man. Make it good. Okay, so I will say that um, today I am going to be the, um, I guess, the, the bear in the room. I'll give, right. uh, I'll give, uh, I guess, a, a bearish take on things. And while right. I'm not in the business of arguing with the market, and um, it does seem the market does seem to like um, what Powell said yesterday, and it's reacting well. And um, I don't let my opinions influence uh, what I'm seeing on the charts. And if the charts are good, then I have to go with it. I will say that I'm not completely convinced that we do get a soft landing, and um, I believe that this kind of market needs to needs to really prove itself and i'm gonna consider it a a, a bear market rally until proved otherwise which mm -hmm. is fine because it, it it it's in line with the strategy i mean when when the market is doing well you position yourself uh long you you add exposure and you have tight stops so you can get out if if you're wrong um so in terms of i i think that the market is we're, we're not we don't we don't disagree with that either we we i i will agree our tail of the tape is showing correction with a short-term uptrend the correction is referring to uh where we are versus the 200-day moving average with us being under that that puts us in a bear we dropped 20 percent and uh i i agree with you this is a bear market rally until proven otherwise i mean you've really you've got to go far for it to to convince uh the, to convince the market that the bear is over. He, and and by the way, by the way, Michael, yeah. I will agree with you 100%. I do not think the Fed is going to engineer a soft landing. Remember, this was the same Fed that said for a couple of inflation was transitory. So Very I think they're, yeah. they're too late on both sides. But in the short term right now, the market seems to be acting right. But anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry, and I, I, th I think the market is, uh, that's okay. Um, I think the market is responding to um, the, this, this uh, opinion that the Fed will pivot and that, um, that they're, they're not going to be as aggressive in hiking. I, I'm not convinced that the Fed will be able to pivot uh, because, well, first of all, the reason why they think the Fed may pivot is because I believe the piece of, uh, of, of what uh, Powell said in the speech um, that they're going to be more data dependent going forward. And we've sort of reached this neutral rate is what, what the market likes. And in my opinion, I, I almost see this. What, what's interesting is, um, is Powell's presser 
sounds it's almost like that um that blue do you, do you guys remember that blue and black dress versus gold and white where people saw it completely differently yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> interesting yeah. yeah so so i i kind of see um I, I feel like you could have interpreted what he said kind of however you wanted and i interpret it as as almost as as a little more hawkish than than most and i think um in terms of the Fed being able to be on autopilot and and um, like increase rates at whatever plan they had, in terms of data dependent now, um, I think that they are cornered, and that data dependent um, response could could even result in in a higher um, rate increase than than um, anticipated. Maybe maybe uh, next meeting in September, the data CPI is still high. They say they look at PCE, um, but whatever inflation data they look at, it could it could continue to be really hot, and um, they may have to increase more. So uh, I'm not I'm not convinced that this is necessarily a pivot, and I think um, in terms of CPI, what I've been looking at that that does concern me is um, even if even if we have a uh, a decrease in energy and food uh, prices it's the it's the sticky components of the cpi that that are much harder to deal with and and not uh very responsive and and they do lag significantly and take a long time to um to correct and in terms of what makes up the cpi i i believe it's um it's like 65 percent of of cpi is made up of this uh this non of uh, sorry of this core um, sticky CPI, and that includes things like owner's equivalent rent, and um, these these inelastic things that that unfortunately um, consumers don't really have a choice other than to to pay for them. They can't really change their their living situation uh, very easily. And you're talking about uh, the core CPI. He's talking I'm about talking rent, about like rent the, is rent yeah, is yeah. part of core CPI. Yeah. So so, it, but within the core CPI, there's the the sticky part of core CPI, which is um, which is okay. not which is not very flexible. It's it's uh, it's it's long lasting and changes in unemployment. Um, I, I can share some graphics. I, I sent them to you guys in in some notes I took over the weekend. But um, those those sticky parts of CPI are actually completely unresponsive to a um, an increase in unemployment. So even if we are in a recession and the unemployment rate, um, Powell said that that based on the dual mandate, the uh, the unemployment or maximum employment part is is that objective has has been met. We have a very tight labor market, um, but it's the inflation side, the price stability that that isn't being met. And even if we have an increase in unemployment, in terms of price stability, I I don't think that um, that that sticky component is just going to resolve itself unless we we they continue to hike aggressively and it'll still take time even under those circumstances for that to to for that pressure to alleviate um and then in terms of the market being hang on hang on hang, 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 from here. hang on mike let me put my mike michael yeah. turpiter turpiter on like i do by don turpiter tim turpiter hunter turpiter what he's saying folks okay. is the second part, the Fed's dual mandate, he's got mm -hmm. the unemployment taken care of. Unemployment is good. They're trying to still get that target 2% uh, 
inflation rate. What Michael is graciously and very analytically saying is there's no way in hell they're going to get it down to 2% target inflation anywhere in the near or midterm because you got parts of the CPI numbers that, that don't respond. They're going to stay higher no matter what because you can't move. You got to buy gas. You got to eat. There are certain things that you're not going to be able to do, and they won't, they won't relieve it. They won't come down. And so go ahead, Michael. I just wanted to clarify. Yeah, thanks for that clarification. Um, and then also in terms of uh, j- just in terms of of inflation in in goods. I mean, even if even if the input costs such as um, like energy costs come down, I I believe that the the price of of these these finished goods. Um, I mean, th- there's a lag on that as well. That that these finished goods, the input costs have been so high for for such a while that it's going to take some time right. before the before prices can even come down and um i think we haven't even seen the total increase yet in um in prices i know a lot of uh like automobile companies um and uh lots of dur- durable goods manufacturers haven't fully baked in and and raised their their prices to the level where they need to be yet just because of sticker shock and they're, they're not able to do that. So they've been trying to do that um, gradually, but I, I don't think we're, we're finished yet, even close to being finished seeing uh, the, the total increase in prices. And then in terms of, uh, I guess, um, equities being able to rally from here and, and have a sustained rally um, in, in terms of like recession being priced in, I think analyst estimates of of earnings are still way too high if we are um in a recession. I mean they haven't come down yet and when you're looking at at multiples in 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 the stock market the way that um that that valuations are are um determined um it's it's the price to earnings multiple and if the earnings come down uh you're going to get lower stock prices because that uh that ratio the uh if the denominator comes down, then the, the numerator has to come down as well. Otherwise, you're going to have multiples that are expanding in a recession, which is highly unlikely. And then mm-hmm. if we're not in a recession and the Fed doesn't pivot and they need to continue hiking, then prices are going to come down because your discount rate is going to continue going higher. And that's also something that that is factored into um, equity prices. So I don't really see a scenario where the 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 price or earnings are um that multiple is able to expand whether we're in a recession or we're in a an aggressive hiking cycle and um yeah so in terms of the fed being much more data dependent i think um i think best case scenario would be a weakening economy um to allow them to be less aggressive against inflation but as i said before i I think the CPI and PCR are going to continue to remain elevated for a while. And um, the uh, Powell also said that um, Chairman Powell said that it is a lot more expensive to deal with inflation in the future than it is to sort of get ahead of it and deal with it in the present. And mm-hmm. unless they really, really get ahead of it, which I think they're behind the curve, um, We'll see what happens in the future, but it's going to be a, a more difficult situation. 
Well, I do, I do agree with you that the PPI, the producer's price index, there's inflation still coming in the pipeline that the manufacturers have not pushed out to the, to the end consumer. And so it's not going to just roll over and pull back immediately with these first couple of rate hikes. I, I would agree with that. Uh, absolutely. And then, uh, sorry, sorry. One, one last, one last piece of data I, I wanted, I wanted to mention was, um, I've heard a lot of talk that the, uh, that the housing market's weakening and and um, sales are slowing down, but the data I've seen is that, um, like for basically data released um, in July, is that the median existing house price has climbed thirteen point four percent from a year earlier to an all time high of four hundred sixteen thousand dollars in June. And it was the 23rd consecutive uh, month of double-digit annual price gains, the longest run since the 1970s. And 88% of home, homes sold in June were sold in under 30 days, with the average being 14 days versus 16 days a month prior in May and 17 days a year earlier. So I, I, I don't see a, a weakening housing market. I think um, prices are, and, and that goes into... Um, like all of the like owners equivalent rent and rent prices as well i i think um i listened to uh dr horton's uh earnings call and they see an inventory shortage until like not really abating until 2040 so i think there's an inventory problem in the housing market that even an increase in rates won't necessarily fix well that's interesting it, it might be I, I don't think the year over year home prices is is necessarily relevant because i think it's month to month I know that in July, houses have, I've got a house that I'm putting up for sale, uh, and it actually, the prices just since we finished doing the makeover have already come down about 4 or 5%, and the, the day sales on the market now is also expanding. So prices not necessarily haven't rolled over hard or anything, but now it's, you know, a month ago, you put a house on the market, you got five cash offers in four days. I mean, you, you were done. Now you put a house on the market and you got people coming and kicking the tires, asking for stuff. They're wanting to get an inspection before they would just buy it sight unseen. They wouldn't even come see the house. They would just buy it. So I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but it doesn't matter. That's, you know, like I said, we, we manage money with prices, truth, and we watch what happens and we will have to see, but I do understand this. This Michael's right that there is a supply problem. And so that can skew, but that's not truly inflation even though it shows up in the numbers, that's a supply-demand issue. There's an imbalance, and so it's going to help buoy the prices of houses. But all right, Michael, well, thank you very much. And, and Michael, uh, next week I also want you to bring a few stock ideas that you're watching to the table, all right? Absolutely. All right, so Don, what do you got? What are you looking at? Well, Friday night's video will uh, update the 21 over 21. There's been some volatility on there, mainly due to some sectors that had been leading, turning in some laggard performance. So uh, let's take a look at uh, what happens when stocks that are running turn, run into resistance and can't get through it. Chewy was one that was on the list because of its outperformance getting above the 21 and its relative strength line leading. Look what happens when it ran into the 200-day moving average uh, on the 22nd. Boom, that's it. Concrete wall above it, hit its head on it, and has pulled back hard since then. And certainly uh, this gap down, 
day on the 26th that coincided with Walmart lowering their guide, which pretty much hit all of retail. But this happened beforehand. And uh, this is really just an, another example of a situation where we're willing to be positive on until something happens in the chart to change our opinion. In this case, it ran into the 200, broke down, uh, and then the 21 rolled over and price went below the 21. So this is something that will be coming off uh, off of the list. A um, couple of more uh, like that. Uh, let's take a look at Chewy. I'm sorry. Let's take a look at uh, Ollie. And this is a situation, this is a rule where you've got to decide at some point, when are you going to take profits on a stock? Ollie broke out of this really nice base, ran up. This green shaded area is the 20 to 25% price area. One of O'Neill's rules is this is a spot where you want to take profits uh, because the stock has had a nice run. Uh, after you hit this 20 to 25%, very often it's time for it to start going sideways or to pull back. If you didn't take your money off the table, you now saw a complete round trip to the breakout area. Uh, in Chewy. So again, another situation where uh, the stock rolls over, is it going to be a gentle pullback? Well, it is until it isn't. And in this case, 21 day, we had a bounce off of it, good so far. Then the next day, coinciding again, actually this happened a day before the Walmart news came out, breaks below the 21. You've got to have sell rules to tell you where to get out, whether you want to do offensive selling, or partial offensive selling and then defensive selling, which is typically what we do. We like to take some off on strength and then let a trailing stop take us out of the rest. Uh, this isn't something that we own, but it's something that we looked at and it's an example of how we would have treated it. Uh, were we in it? The reason why we're not in it is because we're in a bear market and right now we're having a bear market rally. Notice that the S&P 500 has been going high for the last three weeks while Ollie has been going lower. This is one of the part of the sector rotation that I'm talking about, uh, money coming out of defensive retail. And this is another example of why we like the SSO as much as we do. Every time that there's rotation out of a sector to another sector or from value to growth, all of that is handled within the S&P 500 by nature of it having uh, the 11 sectors that it has in there. So. Uh, SSO is tough to beat. It's two time the S&P 500. It's something that we'd like to use as an anchor on our portfolio as long as we're above the 21 and 50 day moving averages. And uh, we, we trimmed a little bit of that this week when we got back to a break area spot, uh, but uh, we've got some nice profits in the other three buys that we've done with it. Uh, and they're continuing to head higher. I'm gonna show the SPY because we make our buy decisions off of the S&P 500, not off of SSO itself. But you can see making a higher high after the Fed today. Uh, let's go back to the five minute chart and talking from a non-biased price only standpoint, we went higher after the Fed, we pulled back, we held the Fed pivot and now we're making new highs. And uh, price is truth, that's what I'm looking at. All right, Don, thank you very much. Folks, listen, don't forget to watch Hunter's uh, final video tonight. Uh, if you get this email, uh, um, if you get this podcast before that, cause we'll send it out early sometimes, um, um, then you'll get the heads up. If not, you can always go to revereasset.com and just go to the market insights page and, and find Hunter's video. It'll be 
right there on the top. Folks, don't forget uh, next week, Don's going to be doing his um, 13 rules, 13 cell rules, because uh, I will be traveling. I will be out of the country. Hunter, we want to wish you well. We want we, we wish you Godspeed in all your journeys. And folks, if you like what you heard, please tell a friend, tell a neighbor, just send them to revereasset.com. In the upper right-hand corner, there's a subscribe button, and they can sign up. They'll get this uh, our Daily Market Insight video, which is normally 10 mi- minutes of red meat. And then this podcast, it's a little bit longer, and we have some economic and topical stuff along with the stocks uh, delivered to their inbox. And we won't spam them and we won't hassle them. We're not going to send them a junk mail. We don't sell their email list. We don't do any of that nonsense. It's up to them to reach out to us if they want a complimentary portfolio review or just have a topic they'd like a question or a topic they'd like uh, reviewed on the air. You can reach out to me at dan at revereasset.com, don at revereasset.com, and now michael at revereasset.com. In fact, you can send him a welcome email and say, hey, or you can always call us old school at 855-REAL-WEALTH. We'll talk to you next week on Your Money. Your Money Radio podcast covers general topics and investment ideas for research. It is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be investment advice. If you want or need investment advice, contact your own advisors or reach out to Revere Asset Management for individual investment advice. For more information, just go to revereasset.com.